Welcome to the God is Not an Asshole podcast. If you are one of the many people done with religious dogmatism, hang on. You might sense transcendence, but your church or other faith community never seem to get off the ground. You realize that honoring your conscience means more than fitting in and keeping hard to explain rules? Hang on. You could probably think of the goodness in your tradition, and you tried your best to save that baby, but there's so much bathwater. Join your host, David Norman Moore Jr. in California and Carrie Connolly in New Jersey, who are collaborating to bring on guests who have found life on the other side of fundamentalism. Guests with stories of how they have liberated themselves from beliefs that divide us from each other. None of our guests' narratives are identical, but we hope you'll find something in common with each of them. We invite you to experience our common bond as we all inspire even more of us to embrace the true self. So sometimes, Carrie, when I am in conversation with someone, I like to ask if there is an event in their life that causes them to go, ah, and every muscle just relaxes in their body. Um, Something that you have experienced with, you know, it doesn't have to be recent, but can you just, just to, uh, you know, let us get to know you, what kind of event have you had in your life or events that, that do that, that cause you to just breathe better? Yeah. Anytime I'm at the ocean, anytime. And so I have made a commitment to myself that during the summer months, because of, you know, right now in this period of my life, I am very blessed and lucky to be able to be pretty open in my schedule and flexible in my schedule. So I am able, and and I truly believe that time is our most precious resource, right? So, and we are completely in control of our time. And as an act of resistance against the, the internalized capitalism that I, I realized mm. that I have, I made a commitment to myself that as, as long as I can, every Thursday or Friday, I will make an effort to be at the beach. And if Thursday or Friday's weather doesn't cooperate, then I'll try to find another day in that week to be at the beach. And so, because very literally, the ocean is the only place that my brain just entirely shuts off. And I can enter into a Zen place where it's just free flow. Stress seems to dissipate. I can ground my body into the earth's energy in the sand. And I just stare at the ocean and um, I could stay there all day. How long does it take you to get there? Uh, With less than an hour. So I, and that's another thing I'm committed to always making sure I live within, within an hour of the ocean. So Mm. um, yes. So I go down We live near very different oceans. (laughs) We do. We do. I'm on the Atlantic ocean. (laughs) Right. <laughs> you are on the Pacific. So yes, but it's, it's, um, it is absolutely an, a matter of self-care and I, I will go for as long as I can until the weather gets too cold here in mm-hmm. New Jersey to go. And even then I'll go. <laughs> so weaving, weaving that experience into your spiritual uh, life and mm, perhaps theological life, even, mm-hmm. uh, how did, how does that help you in your realization of deity, of oneness, of the universe? That's a great question. I think um, I think whenever I am at the ocean, 
I often think about, I stare at it and I, I imagine what's on the other side, right? I always think about what's directly across. <laughs> if, if we could see each other, who would I be staring at, you know? Um, and I also think of people that are on other oceans, you know, that I, I know and love. I often think about them when I'm there. So it's often, um, it's a way of realizing how small I am and also mm. how connected. Um, so you are, are of Irish descent. So is that what you're thinking of when you think of people on the other side? Sometimes, sometimes I'm just thinking of beloveds, you know, I have um, people that I care deeply about in California, I have people that I care deeply about that aren't on an ocean that are somewhere in between my ocean and your ocean. <laughs> and, um, mm -hmm. I, you know, so I have, uh, and then of course, I have, I have beloveds in, in Ireland, I have beloveds on, on the continent and Europe. And so there are people that I, I know and care about all over. Um, mm -hmm. that I'm often thinking of, but also I'm thinking about all the people that I don't know when I'm, when I'm staring at that ocean. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, who's, who would be staring back at me on the other side? I don't know. It's, it's a fascinating thought. So I know <laughs> that you, you meditate. What else do you do? Do yoga or what? Tell me more about that. Um, well, I do, I do yoga, but I do energy work is primarily. That's right. The, yeah. So and, what does and that, that look is, like? Dice, help us understand that. So I'm, I'm, well, I have to, I look up here because I have two certifications. I have a, I'm, I'm a Usui Shiki Reiki, uh, level two practitioner and I'm an angel Reiki master teacher. So essentially I work with intuitive and, and, uh, intuitive subtle body energies. And I work with the angelic realms and, and spiritual realms, um, which, feels really weird to say out loud still, but <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and, um, and actually that whole, that kind of all started in my second semester in seminary, which is in when I was in LA and which was the same week that I met you for the first time, um, mm -hmm. when you were guest speaking at our, at our class. And, um, I had a conversation with Phil Clayton at that, during that week that, kind of put a lot of stuff into perspective, some things that had happened to me, he kind of put things into perspective for me that allowed me to basically let things be true in my experience. And that was sort of the I remember you talking about that. Yes. And, and I'll tell that story in more detail, but, but it was basically the beginning of my deconstruction, right? Which any good seminary is going to take you through a pretty brutal deconstruction. Um, but one of my teachers that kept, uh, that uh, her words really stuck with me. She said, you know, keep, once you start on the process of deconstruction, don't stop when everything's in pieces, keep going, <laughs> keep mm. going and rebuild something. Right. Right. Which is a really important thing that I think a lot of us, a lot of people who move through deconstruction, we get stuck at that place of complete, completely shattered faith. Right. And we never move into the process of reconstructing. So well, let me ask works. this. <laughs> what did what uh constituted your construction my what, the first construction <laughs> yeah so <laughs> that you one? would need to be deconstructed yeah that's a really good question too um 
And it's interesting because I feel like I was always on these two parallel lines, two parallel paths that have now kind of converged, which is really cool because on the one, on the one hand, when I was three years old, I had a very mystical experience with mm-hmm. who I recognized to be Jesus, the right. Christ energy, right? I remember um, you talking about that. Okay. And so, you know, and, and in that moment, I had a, a, a visitation. Essentially, I remember um, the light uh, next to me just condensing and getting stronger in this one specific area around me and feeling um, a a presence near me and understanding in my heart that this was the, the presence known as Jesus, right? And I was only three. I didn't really know who Jesus was at the time. I just knew that this was who this was. And it was such a loving and um, immensely beautiful and generous and accepting energy. And I th- it was it was so beautiful. And I remember a butterfly landed on my nose. And it felt as though in that moment, he was saying, Jesus was saying, I choose you. And I was like, awesome. I love being chosen. That's great. You know, like I didn't really know. Mm. And in that three-year-old, um, in that three-year-old mindset, I'm like, I was just so excited that there was this energy that was willing to accept me, even though my hair was a hot mess and I had dirt on my knees because I was playing in the, in the dirt. And, you know, like I, I didn't, there was nothing that I needed to do to, to be accepted by this presence. And, um, I just remembered that. And then two years later, when my mom took me to the Methodist church, because she was having her own spiritual awakening or, or whatever was happening with her, I would see this picture of this very white sad looking man on the the wall. And I'd be like, wow, I, I don't know what's wrong with him. I hope he feels better, but soon, because he looks really sad, but that's not the energy that I know is Jesus, right? And so that kind of began my my time in the church. And my time in the Methodist church was not great at all. I don't really have very many good memories of that time. I remember most of, a lot of trauma from a very young age of just being not accepted, not welcomed, not mm-hmm. not good enough in that church um, for whatever reason, made me always really nervous about being stepping foot into church. Okay, so so let me ask this, and then and then I want you to, to keep answering that. But um, okay. you're using the word Jesus, and I know you know in various uh, communities and theologies, uh, people will use the term Christ more comfortably than yeah. than Jesus, and. To me, that's a really important distinction. Mm-hmm. So why are you saying Jesus? That's really interesting because there it's, it's okay. So it's it's this comes to this is one of those tricky parts when you work with the other realms in trying to give form and language to that which exists beyond form and language. So it's hard. Because I I do also refer to that experience as the Christ energy, but that Christ energy, as I said, the light condensed and became form. And it's almost as though in my mind's eye, it's like almost as though there was this energy that was getting um, denser and denser and denser, not completely dense into form. But in my mind's eye, when I remember looking down, I remember seeing big sandaled feet and just knowing Jesus, right? And wow. so it's almost as though that beautiful energy that is the Christ consciousness that we talk about um, in metaphysical terms, right, was 
helping me to recognize, and this is what the angels and what the angelic realms and what the other realms do for us, understanding that we are in this realm, that they, they will give us points of reference for us to understand and recognize them, right? Mm-hmm. As well, while we are contained here. And so that's, I feel like maybe what that energy was doing for me that day was helping me to say, this is who I was when I was here. This is how you can recognize me, how you can work with me. And this is also, I feel like it was the path that I was supposed to be on. Because I definitely do feel that I believe in soul contracts. I think that that energy was helping me to fulfill my soul contract, um, to recognize, oh, okay, I'm supposed to be on this path, the Christ path, which would eventually lend take me to a very strict cult-like Southern Baptist church in the city when I was in my early 20s, which would then take me to a large non-denominational church and be on staff there when I was in my 30s and 40s. And then... Uh, yeah, maybe more my forties and then eventually to seminary, right? If I had been on the Buddhist path, that all would have been a very different soul contract. Right. But I think I was Mm -hmm. on this particular path Mm -hmm. to be doing this. God is not an asshole podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So go on with your recounting. Oh, so the, so well, the construction. So, so, you know, I, my dad was a, a Catholic who considered himself excommunicated because he'd gotten a divorce. And my mom had this very volatile relationship with the church more because of the relationships, you know, people can be jerks too, (laughs) you know, just because you go to church doesn't mean you're not a jerk sometimes. And, um, and so people, she would have these weird, you know, experiences. And then in my early twenties, I followed a boy to a church in New York City, and that was a very small church, very, what I recognize now to be fundamental. I didn't know that that's what it was at the time, but it was very fundamental. A lot of God told me, you're supposed to marry this guy. You're supposed to marry that person. A lot of that kind Mm. of stuff going on. Yeah, it was really, and there was a lot of trauma, a lot of... um, a lot of dysfunction in that church, a lot of peopling in that church, right? At peopling not at our best uh, in that mm-hmm. church. And I was young and I didn't really, I didn't really know what was what was happening. And it was, it was a lot of people up in each other's business. Okay. So you know, you just mentioned people and a little bit earlier you talked about people can be jerks, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Isn't mm-hmm. that what all of this is about because there's no question about whether god is an asshole or anything like that it's it's how god is represented you know 100 (laughs) percent. yes yes and it's that's that brings you to power and power dynamics and ego and and the institutionalized church and the ways in which um i think church or how should i say this i think it's more i'd like to call it the 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 community that that grew up around this amazing energy that came into the dense form that we know as Jesus, and that almost sounds like uh, John chapter one. Indeed, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yes, absolutely. And the Word was made flesh. Yes. The Word became flesh. Yes, a hundred percent. And yeah. And I think that there was this community that grew up around that energy and, and then that community got corrupted 
by power dynamics and um, patriarchy and empire and all sorts of really horrific, horrific human things, right? And um, we still see those at play today. And I became an agent of those things, you know, as, uh, as I started to be conditioned into... Why do you think you became... You know, uh, you know, we got caught up in this thing, um, you know, culturally mm-hmm. and religiously. Why do you think you didn't just stop and say, <laughs> this isn't good, I, this isn't healthy? Yeah, well, that's, I, that's also such a great question. And I'll, and I'll answer it energetically because all, the, all this time I've been going through seminary, but I was also getting this like unofficial degree in, in my energy work and all of that. And there's an amazing spiritual teacher named Carolyn Mace. Um, her na- last name is spelled M-Y-S-S, but it's pronounced Mace. And she has her, her, an amazing body of work all around the, the chakra system. And one of the things that she talks about is that each chakra system, each chakra is aligned with a period of, of emotional growth as we age. And so that tribal chakra, that first chakra, um, the root chakra is so associated with tribal identity and the survival of uh, our, our personal survival, right? Um, and the safety that we get from that tribe. And so we have to reach a certain age of emotional development and energetic development as we as our chakras come online before we can start to question and break away mm. from that tribal safety and and move into um, something that's a little bit more individualized um, and relational, but still, but then also finding our personal power our authentically, not about power over, but our own power too, right? Mm. Our authentic power as we move up and, and develop our chakras. Oh, let me just mention that, um, and this was long after I had, uh, you know, had my heart open and then my eyes open to the need to embrace more than the narrow expression of faith as I, you know, had become never really comfortable with, always struggling and fighting with it. But mm-hmm. uh, I think maybe kind of kind of like your experience, um, even though it was well underway. I mean, I was probably 10 years into my transformation, but I got language for it when I was reading Richard Rohr. Mm, yeah. And okay. yeah. And, and, and saying similar <laughs> things like, you know, you're talking about, you know, root chakra development. He used language that I could relate to very easily. He said, you know, everybody is a fundamentalist until they realize that they are. <laughs> yes, so true. It's so true. And he says, <laughs> he says, don't be so hard on yourself, mm-hmm. um, you know, because, you know, sometimes we kick ourselves like, how could I have, you know, mm-hmm. been such an asshole, you know, right. how could I have been <laughs> so truculent and inflexible and you know so into the one way of seeing everything and making sure that everybody else sees it that way um yes so yeah so that was his language everybody is a fundamentalist until they're not and and so get you accept that yeah right yeah and the mental machinations that you have to do in order to stay in that paradigm are, are exhausting and they're they're pretty incredible you know and so um 
I think that the beginning of my deconstruction probably really happened when I found myself on staff at a large non-denominational church that was, I call it skinny jean pastor churches, you know, like they're the kinds with the rock bands and the smoke machines and all of that. And I was on staff. In the moment, it sounds like so much fun, right? So good. It's so good. It's it's such feel-good stuff, right? And, um, you know, and then you see behind the scenes a little bit and it's not so much, but we won't, that's a whole podcast, whole other kind of podcast. <laughs> but um, uh, it, it was a very Hillsong-esque church. Let's just leave it at that. And I wrote an article for a local newspaper that said I was a Christian mom who supported LGBTQ rights. And this was long before that was uh, in the it really in the dialogue, right? That mm. of the progressive, like this was before I ever heard the term progressive Christian. I didn't know what that was, right? And I literally got turned in to the pastor and got called into the pastor's office. Somebody turned me in, somebody found, saw the article, reported it to him. He you called me outed. into the office. I was outed. And he told me that we do not, members of staff are not permitted to write about divisive issues. And wow. so I was effectively told that if I wanted to keep my job, I could no longer write what I wanted to write. And so I had to, I, I swallowed that for a year or two, a few years, and then I couldn't do it anymore. And so I, yeah. I finally left because I was like, no, I need to, I need to be free to write whatever I want to write and not worry that somebody is going to turn me in and that I'm going to get called into the principal's office, you know. See, that's um, an important function of this, the religious system. That is, you're going to get outed, and the person yeah. or persons who out you really think they're doing God's will. That oh yes, you know they're they're keeping things pure because we could become heretics. So go on. Right, right. Yes, absolutely. And and that's I think that is one of the biggest. Um, I want to say a different word than I will say now, but that's one of the biggest, the things that screws with your mind the most when it comes to, um, when you're in that process of deconstruction is that, you know, Carrie, you can use any language. This is not a family show. Okay. Well then I'll say the biggest mind fuck that uh, that, that is with this, because (laughs) this is a huge one is this idea that, you know, these people who, are doing so much harm are very literally doing it out of love, right? Because they are so entrenched in this fear that, that they and, or you, and maybe them by proxy are going to hell. Right. And so I have a a dear friend who was once also on staff there and he, uh, came out as gay and is now, um, happily married to his husband and his family is still very deeply entrenched in, in fundamentalism, and they are so sure that he is going to, to hell, and, and it causes so much pain because he's like, yeah. I know that what they're doing is out of love, even though it's also out of power. But there's that, it's a really funky dynamic, right? Um, that it is both based in love and power, and that's really messed up. That's amazing. Last <laughs> night, Diane and I watched... Uh, this um, this uh, movie uh, starring Susan Sarandon, where she plays a mother whose son is, is gay and she's extremely religious. Oh, and uh, you know, spoiler yeah. alert: at the end, he towards the end, he be, he he commits suicide, mm. and um, because he's trying, 
you know, people around him saying, you know, tell, who don't even know yet that he's that he's gay are saying, you know, just please God. And really, in the final analysis, it comes out that he was trying to please her and that could never happen. Right. Nope. Right. Right. And that's what that's the thing. It does so much harm. This love does so much harm to people. And um, so, yeah. So so when I realized when and, and I think for me, the big question, the really big question for me was my kids were were small. They were little when I was on staff there. And I really had to ask because for me, it, it became really personal when I started asking the question, what if my what if my own kids are gay? What if my own kids are gay? Do I, what? How do I want to respond to them myself? And how do I want the world to respond? How, who, who am I willing to put them in contact with? Um, who am I willing to allow them to be influenced by? Yeah. If they were to do, do, does my capacity to love my children stop at their sexuality? No. Mm, <laughs> the answer right. was. No, what my yeah. capacity to love my kids is boundless and ferocious. And if you mess with my kids, you're going to have to mess with me. And that was the answer that I, that was the real turning point for me. I always, I never bought into the, um, the narrative that, that fundamentalist uh, fundamentalists have about LGBTQ. I never really bought into it. I might be, there may have been a time when I would parrot it back, but I, ne- mm-hmm. it never resonated. It never resonated with me at all. The, 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 when I started asking that question about my kids was when I said, no, I have to become more vocal. I have to, I have mm-hmm. to be, I have to outwardly speak this truth and say, my kids are always going to be safe around me, no matter who they are. Yeah. And that, that, was the, that was the turning point for me. And then the 2016 election happened. <laughs> and I, that was when I decided I was writing a blog called Jersey Girl Jesus. And I was getting, I was writing about things like LGBTQ rights. I was writing about things like the Take a Knee movement and women's rights. And I was receiving so much vitriol and hatred and death threats from white Christian men. And on the other hand, I was also getting emails from moms of trans kids who were saying, thank you so much for creating mm-hmm. a safe space for me. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm doing ministry. Like I, I need to, yeah. I have no desire to be a pastor, but I'm doing ministry here. And I needed to, I needed to know what I was talking about. And um, that's when Doug Paget had started the cohort at Christian uh, Theological. And I luckily, I found that I actually started at a different school, but they wanted me to sign a, a, a uh, an anti-LGBTQ statement. So oh. I dropped out and then I was able to find CTS and I, I got to, um, I got to, to be part of that amazing cohort, which takes me to my second semester in LA. And when I met you, and, uh, and Philip Clayton. And so all of my life, essentially what happened there was all of my life, I'd been having these weird experiences of knowing things I wasn't supposed to know and having experiences, dreaming about my dead grandmother, um, having to, with some weirdness around that, having a lot of experiences that were, were strange that I couldn't explain. And one of them was 
during my last days on staff at that church, I was taking a picture of everybody and a huge white ball of light, this orb flew in front of this group of people. And I was like, uh, what, what was that? And then they were like, what's the matter? I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to tell you what just happened. Like, <laughs> cause like, I'm not, I, I don't want to get burned at the stake. And I asked a few weeks later, I asked a friend of mine who is a psychic what it was. And she said, it was, a, they're saying it was a jester angel. I'm like, well, that's completely unhelpful because first of all, I don't think I believe in angels. And secondly, like, what does that even mean? Like that, that does me absolutely no good. So, you know, thanks for nothing. Kind of like was my attitude. And then fast forward to January of whatever year that was. And I was in, in LA and I told Phil Clayton that, and he said, well, you know what they say about jesters, right? And I said, no, what? He goes, they were the only ones who could tell the king the truth. Now, this ball of light had just flown right in, in front of my pastor and the whole staff at, at this church, like all of the authority in my mm. life at that time, right? This ball of light. And so this in that moment, I was like, oh. And I said, well, what do I do with that? He said, just let it be true. Mm. And it was like in that moment, I said, wait, I can just let that be true. <laughs> I can do that. And it kind of, I looked down and having already taken some classes in how the Bible had been constructed and all these things, I started looking at my faith and I was like, wow, there's, here's this, here's this patriarchy. Here's this legalism. I don't want that in there anymore. Here's all of this stuff. And when I took out all of those broken shards, it created all of this other space for me to integrate all of these experiences of the divine that I'd had and to be able to reconstruct a new faith that um, incorporates mm. the work of energy, the fact that I believe that Jesus was a chakra master and he was an energy worker and that's how he um, did these healings and that he was uh, somebody who had a deep understanding of the quantum realms and how they work and um and so, Just yeah, in, that, in a word, evolved. <laughs> yes, yes. I think my and and one of these in at some point in my doctorate work, I am going to write a book, uh, a paper about this. I believe that what he was was fully ensouled. That's what I. So there when, you go. When somebody says that he, when people say that he was fully human and fully and also fully divine, I yeah. believe that what he had access to was the full extent of his of his soul. He was fully ensouled, where the rest of us. We forget. We forget yeah. about so much of our spiritual energy, and and he never did, and that's yeah. what enabled him to do that. Thank you so much for being here today. We are people who have left behind performance-based religion and the shame that comes with it. Maybe you have a personal liberation story to tell, and we want to know about it. Please contact us on Twitter at God is not an asshole, or text eight zero five seven zero three. 8393, because the world needs to know that God is not an asshole.